Sports Podcast. I said, Welcome to, welcome to the Dirty Sports Podcast with Andy Ruther and Joe Prano. Welcome to, welcome to the Dirty Sports Podcast. Welcome to the Dirty Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Ruther, coming to you live from Cincinnati, Ohio, with my co-host from somewhere in New York, Joey Nochilpreno. Hello, Andy. Thank you for having me once again. We're doing this. We're out here. 826. On the and same ha- time zone again. Yes, we're, we're in the same time zone, but now we're once again uh, accounting for a three-hour time difference to California for our guest today. Which I'm very, very, very excited about. I've been raving about his book for weeks now. I, in fact, I probably crushed this book quicker than any book in recent memory that I can recollect that, that I've just, I just couldn't put it down. You made a joke. I said, it didn't matter where I went. I was sleeping before bed. I was on the toilet. I just wanted to just keep reading. So let's just bring him on without further ado. He's got the great book, Showtime, and it discusses the whole dynasty of the 1980s Lakers. Jeff Perlman, welcome to Dirty Sports. I just want to say there's a every now and then, every now and then someone will be like, uh, man, your book, that's my favorite book, right? It's every now and then. And my reaction in my head, and it might be the self-loathing northeastern jewish guy in me is really like really like you you can't put your book can't put your book down really like that's great but you know it's like it always comes as a i'm not just saying that it always comes as like a a very pleasant surprise i appreciate i appreciate it i thought i thought for sure you were going to say your first reaction is which book because you've written how, how many how many books uh have you written and published at this point well i have my 10th coming out in october so there you go incredible and uh jeff was nice enough to be a guest on my podcast joe prano podcast when he put his usfl book out we talked about a lot of different things mostly uh your writing process uh on that show so after the dirty sports fans if they need more jeff perlman you can always get him there but obviously uh showtime isn't your most recent book but it is uh pushed back into the forefront with the release of the HBO series winning time. And uh, I love, first of all, that Showtime became winning time because it had to go on HBO, which is great. But um, how have you seen uh, the reaction to people finding the book now sort of after the series? Actually, it's been really, um, it's been really good. I, uh, I need to sell a ton of books to get royalties on this one. So like, it's not actually like a t- like an unrealistic number of books. So it's not about the sort of personal wealth or anything of that because it's not going to happen. But it's been really cool having people reach out and say, hey, I read your book or hey, I finally read your book. Or, hey, blah, blah, blah. Um, I haven't had that happen with other books that have been out for so long, people to come back to it. So it's been kind of a cool phenomenon, a new one for me. You know, I was I was saying, Jeff, I've been saying a lot since the show came out and with reading your book, I've almost struggled with the show because the book obviously is so much more in depth and the show can only cover so much where where 
you know, I've, I'm not definitely that guy of like, the book is so much better. The book is so much better. How, like when, when you watch the show, like, how do you feel about that as far as what you wrote versus what you see? Or do you just understand, hey, it's going to be different. I can't exact, they can't put everything that I put in the book. And it's just, it's just too much. It's a, it's an interesting question. It's been a real, um, it's been an adjustment for me, which I'm fully into now, but it definitely is an adjustment because number one, when you are trained as a journalist and your career as a journalist, you're all about the facts, the facts, the facts and pursuing stories and, and getting it as precise as possible. And when you see a show, you have to remind people and you also have to remind yourself, look, this is, it's a drama, dramatized account of your book. And it's not gonna be word for word of your book. And it shouldn't be, that would be really boring actually. It's TV, it's made for TV, it's different. Um, so it's weird. It actually is really weird. It's strange. And I'll have people say like every, all the time, wait, I don't remember that from your book. And I'm like, well, that wasn't in my book or wait, the book really goes into this more. And I'm like, well, it's a 450 page book. So of course it's going to. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of adjustment. Um, number one, just watching it. And I do love the show, but it is an adjustment watching it. And it's also an adjustment. Um, every week I play pickup basketball every Sunday morning. And every week there's some guy at pickup basketball who's like, I don't know, man, I watched a show and that was in your book or your book was blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you, man. We've gone over this 17 times. I don't know. <laughs> shoot the ball. Just shoot the ball. <laughs> well, it's amazing, too, because you're seeing a lot of reaction to the show from Lakers fans, uh, NBA fans in general, some of the parties involved in the, uh, you know, the Lakers showtime run and I, I've see, I've seen it and I'm just like, well, you know, this is all kind of a big game of telephone. Like this is what actually happened back in late 70s, early 80s. Then you have people's memory of that, their their version of it that they, you know, people through interviews have told you. And obviously you kind of suss out what's real by taking so many different sources. And then there's the you writing it. And then there's the taking of it and making it a Hollywood TV show. So I'm like, yeah, you're eight levels away from the real story of what happened. So the idea that so many people are kind of going, well, this didn't happen, or I didn't say that, or I wasn't like this. It, it's kind of amazing. Has anybody, um, you know, there's a lot of talk about the, the show itself uh, from, you know, Magic Johnson sort of distanced himself from it. Kareem put out a uh, a blog about how his he's perceived on the show. Has anybody reached out to you um, it, like as kind of holding you in, in any way responsible for their portrayal on the show? No. And a couple of people have reached out to me saying how much they've enjoyed the show. So, I mean, I don't know. And also, I will say, like, on a point you made before. Like one of my one of the movies I really enjoyed over the past few years is Straight Out of Compton. Just as an example, people love Straight Out of Compton. They should. It's a great movie. It's well acted. Everything about it. If you look at the actual backstory of NWA, it does not happen that way. Now it happens kind of that way. There are a lot of flourishes. If you watch the movie, uh, Remember the Titans. Everyone loves Remember the Titans. Find out what really happened. Find out what Herman Boone was really like. The head coach did. Did uh, the, the, the guy who played by Wood Harris, the character played by Wood Harris, actually walk into his white teammates room in the hospital and say, that's my brother. Tears. You know, not like <laughs> it's kind of what it is. Like it, just, yeah. it really is, just kind of is what it is and how these things go. And I personally, 
I accepted that. I made peace with that a long time ago. And I do feel like most people seem to love the show. Like I do scan Twitter. I scan social media. It feels 98 to two positive and embracing of it and a celebration of this era. Uh, but oftentimes the 2% can be very loud. Now, when you're writing a book like this, that covers a little more than a decade, t- take me through that process. Like how do you go about compiling this whole era of the Lakers? What's that process? How many interviews, the writing, I'm just, how many, I just can only imagine the amount of time and hours that you put into doing something like that. Well, I usually give myself about two years, uh, soup to nuts. I, um, for this book, I interviewed, I think it was about 350 people. And I just really try to talk to everyone. Now there are certain people who just wouldn't talk, like Magic didn't talk, Kareem didn't talk. So when that happens, you really double down. Uh, number one, I always say like every guy who played for the Lakers witnessed and was a part of the same thing that Magic and Kareem were parts of. So when you talk to Wes Matthews and you talk to Mark Landsberger and Michael Cooper, well, all those guys were there too. They were on the room too. They were all there for the speeches. They were there for the bus rides. They were there for groupies. They were there for everybody. So I'm very into tracking down everyone. And the other thing I'm really, really big on is building my own library uh, of that era. So there's a website, there's either Nexus, Lexus, or newspapers.com, and they have these archive databases. And I will go day by day by day through the entire era and just build this 10,000 page library of everything. So you combine the research you do by interviewing people with this entire library archives of everything that happened. And the challenge with writing about teams, I find, like in a lot of ways, I enjoy writing biographies of people more. Like I did Walter Payton's book. So Walter Payton, you had to go from Columbia, Mississippi to Jackson State to Chicago to he's the end of his career. You know, like there's his life journey. The, the, the difficulty with the team is seasons, even if they don't seem so at the time, can be very repetitive. So 1985, 1986, not that different from each other. 1986, they're still playing the same teams. It's still games. So the challenge is finding the, the uniqueness in different seasons, finding the weird characters, the guys who come in, the guys who leave. Uh, that I always find a little difficult with team books. With your process, you know, you just took us out how, how in-depth it is, and there's a two-year. Uh, what I want to know is because as a, as a former, you know, I was a journalism major and a former journalist myself, like the, a project like this is so intense and so heavy. Uh, it, to me, the thought of doing something like that is so overwhelming. What is just step one A? Somebody says you're going to do a book on the Showtime Lakers. W- what do you do first? Oh, yeah. First thing I do every time is go to eBay and buy every book, every yearbook, every media guide, every if there's some sport magazine cover about story about the Lakers from 1980, you can buy it for five bucks on eBay. I go to eBay and I just absolutely blew it up. So that's by far the first thing. Every time, first thing I do, go to eBay. What can I find? That's, that's amazing. <laughs> you know what's so fascinating that, that Joe and I have discussed is that you see things that happen and then history's altered. And we see that all the time, right? But I feel like with this era, with the butterfly effect, so, you know, so many things, right? Obviously, you know, Jack McKinney has his injury and then Westhead takes over and which ultimately leads to Pat Riley, which we know where he's at now. And just all these different things as far as Jerry Buss buying the team and how he revolutionized everything. I, I feel and you're obviously a sports historian, but I feel like this had so many things that did happen or didn't happen, like the James Worthy trade that just 
really kind of all connected and work together like a puzzle to just make them so successful. No, I agree. And I, I mean, I do think that that's any sports team you talk about. There's some coin flip that went one way or the other. There's some trade that resulted in this and resulted in that. But um, I mean, you know, with the Lakers, Jerry Tarkanian was going to be the coach and his agent dies. He doesn't take the job. Uh, Jack McKinney takes a job. He gets in a bike accident after 14 games. Paul Wesson takes over. Paul Wesson coaches the team to a championship. He needs an assistant coach. Pat Riley. All right, Pat Riley. Westhead gets overthrown by Magic Johnson. They need someone to fill in. We're going to hire Jerry West and Pat Riley to co-coach the team. Jerry West is like, I'm not fucking coach, co-coaching this team. I don't know. What are you talking about? Riley becomes a legend, you know? And like, yeah, it's fascinating. And what I will say one of the things about the show that I love and that brings me great joy is I feel like the Jack McKinney story was not a known story. And his place in sort of whatever you want to call it, Laker history or NBA history was a very obscure little place. And I do like the fact that they dove deep into Jack McKinney's background and who he was and how this all started and his intellect as a basketball coach. So seeing little things like, even uh, I always say like, one of the things I love about writing books, like the USFL book, I love that nobody was talking about this league. And I'm not saying the book led to this giant talk about the USFL, but like nobody was talking about this league. You decide to write a book. And all of a sudden, you're on a podcast or you're on TV shows talking about it and bringing this thing back to life. And for me, that's really, that just does it for me. There's something about that that really does it for me. So same with Jack McKinney. Yeah, and, and it's it's remarkable. I mean, I obviously knew the Jack McKinney sort of timeline, but what your book um, and now the show for uh, you know an even larger audience is doing is it's sort of Pat Riley and Magic Johnson become synonymous with the, the phrase, the Showtime Lakers. And it's all Jack McKinney that brings in this offensive style. And anybody who, like myself, was a 90s Knicks fan knows uh, Pat Riley doesn't run a Showtime type of, type of offense. So it's amazing to just see, like Andy said, the butterfly effect. And I think, obviously, we've seen where Pat Riley's gone to in the NBA, but the butterfly effect of... Jerry Buss buying the Lakers in terms of sort of sports entertainment in general, from Laker girls to, you know, the NBA just totally blowing up in the Magic Bird era toward like, I mean, you think about Magic Bird, like without without each other, it's it's not that 80s rivalry that gets so much attention like this book, while being about the Showtime Lakers is also, you know, very much about the birth of the modern NBA. I want to say two things about that. Number one, I think it's an important point about Pat Riley. People overlook this. They really do. Like most coaches have a system. I actually think Pat Riley, I can't believe I'm saying this as an underrated NBA coach. Most coaches have a system and where they go, they take their system with them. I always think of Bum Phillips, the old Houston Oilers coach. He has Earl Campbell and he's running this Earl Campbell offense. He gets hired by the New Orleans Saints. And he brings the exact same offense and it's a disaster. We look at Phil Jackson he has this triangle, and then he takes over as the Knicks, and he hires Jeff Hornacek to be a triangle coach, even though the personnel doesn't work. Pat Riley's transition from being the showtime coach with the Lakers to coming to the Knicks and saying, all right, I have Anthony Mason, I have Charles Oakley, I have Patrick Ewing. We're just going to beat the snot out of people. Is unbelievable. Like, he just he adjusted to his players. I think that's one of the most underrated things a coach has ever done is being able to morph like that. Um, to your point, I think – when everything I love and hate about the modern NBA goes right to Jerry Buss. Like when you're sitting at a game and you don't have a second to think to yourself in any kind of quiet whatsoever, 
because you have to hear like some Rihanna song blaring it, you know, like that's Jerry Buss when there's a bunch of people doing, you know, well, obviously the dancers come out. That's Jerry Buss. When they have contests, that's Jerry Buss. Any piped in music, that's Jerry Buss. Jerry Buss was a guy, I mean, way above ahead of his time to say, um, this can't just be a basketball game. Like this just can't be a basketball game. It's a too limited of an audience. It has to be an entertainment venue. It has to be a reason for people to come to these things. So any city now has courtside celebrities, even Oklahoma, you know, Oklahoma City, whoever the celebrities are in Oklahoma, they're sitting courtside at a Thunder game. And that was Jerry Buss thinking way ahead. We need to make this an event. I think it's brilliant times a thousand. Yeah. And to follow up what you said, Jeff, I, I couldn't agree more. And I was thinking about that. And I know Kobe Bryant's on record saying that Jerry Buss was the most important owner in all of sports. So I'll ask you, you know, where do you put him? Because I, I would argue in a history like Joe's saying of the NBA, I mean, he's got to be a top five guy as far as how he revolutionized everything. Wouldn't you agree? hundred percent. I can't think of anyone else who rivals that. I mean, you can make an argument in a weird way. You can make an argument in baseball that Bud Selig becoming commissioner uh, wound up being one of the most influential. He owned the Brewers before he became commissioner. White might go down as one of the most influential owners of all time. But I think as far as an impact on the entire league and changing, I mean, the NBA, when he, when he joined the NBA, the show isn't lying. Like it was a quote, two black league where the finals were on tape delay in certain areas. And, the ratings sucked uh, and he saw the potential for the league and he saw the potential of Magic Johnson. Um, I just think everything with the NBA goes on a very high arc since that happens. Now, speaking of Jerry Buss and the Buss family, uh, Jeannie w- was someone who spoke to you for uh, your book. And uh, if uh, I believe I read on, on your Twitter or on one of your sub stacks that you post that she has since sort of uh, become unavailable to you. Do you know what happened in that relationship? Is that something that she, she said this happened? No, I actually don't know. I, so I'm not just making that up. I assume it has to do with the show. Uh, but I always say, like, I really mean this. I really mean this. Like, I actually get it. Like, I 100% get it. Like, I don't really get not talking to me, but I get like, you're the Lakers. The show comes along. Hey, we're going to use your logos. Hey, we're going to use your players. Hey, we're going to make the form. Hey, Jeannie Buss, we're going to tell your story, an interpretive version of your story. We're going to feature it about your dad, but who, by the way, died, who meant everything to you. And we're going to, we're going to make this a Lakers story. And you know, millions of people are going to watch it. We're going to put it on a huge network and we're going to make this show and it's going to be about you. And guess how much we're going to pay you for this? Zero. And you know, like, and you're going to guess how much creative control you're going to have zero, you know, like I always say, I get it. But on the flip side, especially considering the, the dog shit year the Lakers had, I think the show is great for the Lakers. I think it is great for the Lakers. I think it has people talking about the Lakers. The show is a positive show, despite what people may say, like it's a very warm embrace of the NBA of that time period. And certainly of the franchise. And I kind of feel like if, if the Lakers decided tomorrow, you know what, let's change our approach on this one. Let's actually have uh, Quincy Isaiah and Solomon Hughes and John C. Rowe. Let's have those guys sit courtside next game and let's show them on the screen and let's actually show a commercial for winning time. Let's see how I actually, to me, it's a no brainer. Like, why wouldn't you? I don't actually, I just think it's so positive about the Lakers, especially during a time period when people are not feeling very good. 
And it seems like the the issue is uh, for a lot of the people that are involved in the show is like a very personal like it, it doesn't seem like a lot of people are complaining about the uh, portrayal of the Showtime Lakers and the 80s Lakers. It seems like everybody that has an issue with it is saying here. I don't like how I look. Obviously, um, you didn't talk to Kareem for your book, um, but you put together a. Uh, you know, from all his teammates and his coaches and people involved, uh, his story. And uh, I know he's on record uh, like yourself. He has a great Substack uh, newsletter and his his uh, reaction to the show was, you know, that everybody's sort of being painted as a one note character. Now, we actually have had on uh, our show before uh, David Zucker. Uh, one of the uh, directors, writer, director of Airplane, who had nothing but great things to say about Kareem and has, uh, you know, posted on his Substack, uh, on Kareem's Substack, a uh, response comment saying, you know, he would never tell a kid to fuck off and he was a great guy and we had nothing but love working for him. All right. So I guess a few things on that. Number one, I reached out to Kareem every way you could reach out to Kareem to talk to my book. He said, no, it's his right to say no. Okay. But like, I always find it weird when people complain about the way they're portrayed when they could have impacted the way they were portrayed. Just saying, um, Kareem has the worst publicist on the planet. He has a publicist who works for him. I would not say her name who has been so damaging to his image and his reputation. Um, he does almost nothing unless he's getting paid, which again, I get it. You're right. But, She's just, she's poison. She's actually poisoned to his reputation. And she's done so much damage to his reputation. He's a brilliant guy. He's hugely influential. I consider him the greatest basketball player of all time. I really do. Um, but he's, he and his crew have put out so many toxins into the world that it's hard to, for people to say, you know, we really, or it's hard for anyone to be overly sympathetic to. We, the, the portrayal of Kareem should have been more of this or more of that. Like, you've had so many chances and you just you keep shitting on it. So I don't really know what to say about that. And um, as for him, I'm I'm not saying he told the kid on airplane to fuck off, but there are plenty of examples of Kareem telling people to fuck off or get out of my face or I'm not signing for you or get away, kid. I mean, I, I interviewed so many guys from my book who discussed Kareem, the surliness and the moodiness. So did he say it literally to the kid playing uh, on airplane? No, probably not. Did he say it to a lot of people? Yeah, he did. So fuck you. I don't know. Right. <laughs> and, 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 and again, and again, like you said, you know, this is the next this is the next level of your you, everything that you've written is in an over 400 page book. And then, uh, at, you know, Adam McKay and the, the folks at Winning Time take what they have. Now, my question for you in regards to that is, what's that process like, Jeff? Like, how how does this show uh, come about and become from your book, like obviously the story of the Showtime Lakers is is long and storied and yours is one of the many things written about it, obviously, probably the most in depth. How does it how do you end up getting involved in being the person that they come to and say, we want to option your book for the show? So it actually goes back to 2014. And uh, a guy, a screenwriter named Jim Hecht reached out to me and I'd never heard of him. And I looked him up. And his real only credit was Ice Age 2, The Meltdown, which nothing's <laughs> wrong with Ice Age 2, The Meltdown, but what does this have to do with anything? So he's pretty persistent. I want to buy the rights to your book. I really think this could be a great TV series, blah, 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 blah. I was living in New Rochelle, New York at the time. 
And um, Easter 2014, he shows up at my house and um, he comes bearing an, a tomato, a bottle of imitation wine drink and a block of chocolate. And he's like, ah, hey, I'm here and I really love this book and blah, 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 blah. And um, they're drilling outside my house. Can you hear that? Are you picking that up? No, thank oh, God. <laughs> yeah, good. let me know if you do. And because uh, we've been living with it for two weeks. Um, he shows up and he has his stuff. And my wife is like, who is this guy? And I'm like, I, I don't know. And he comes over and he eats family dinner with us. Easter dinner, two Jews on Easter. He's like, I just really believe in this. I really think this is great. I think this could be something. And I did something you shouldn't do, which is I signed. I, I gave him the rights to the book for X amount of time to shop it without it getting any money. And every now and then he, he would call me and update me. And I never, I just never bought it. Like I never bought it. I'd had books option before. Nothing ever happens. Everyone always tells you how great everything is. I know a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy who knows. And it's always like, I got a guy who knows Steve Gutenberg and he loves it. And you're like, I, okay. So um, a couple of years ago, maybe four years ago, he's like, Adam McKay wants us to come to his house. And uh, I don't know who that is. I really don't know who that is. And I Google <laughs> Adam McKay and I'm like, oh, that's cool. We go to his house and we're sitting there. It's the three of us. He loves a book and he's really into it. And I still don't believe it. I'm like, I don't. Okay. Then I get a contract from HBO and I swear, I still don't believe it. It's just a contract. We want option to, you know, rights to it. And okay. And then one day I'm, uh, I'm home and a friend of mine from college named Adrian Lewin sends me a link to a either variety or something article. And I think it was, John C. Riley uh, agrees to star in HBO series. And you read it, it's like based on the book by Jeff Rohn. Then there's a follow-up article, Adrian Brody agrees to sign. And then when, when it was Sally Field, I went into my, I went into my wife's, she was working here and I'm like, uh, all right, a huge female actor just agreed to be in my show. You get two guesses, think as big as you can get. She goes, Meryl Streep, I go, no. She goes, Sally Field, I go, yes. <laughs> and I think when I saw Sally Field, that was kind of the moment where I was like, holy shit. You're like, it's happening. It's really yeah, happening. It's really happening. They like me. They really like me. So. Boy, and I'll say that's that's something that's been great about the show. I mean, they really have assembled just an amazing cast. And I think, like you said, it's mostly been all positive. I think that's why it's it's caught fire so well is that it's a great cast. It's great acting. It, it's a great storyline. And like, like last night's episode. I mean, you know, that's a, the, the thing about me is it's, it's not just the history for people who don't know anything uh, about the layers. I, I think it, it, it shares, it shines a light on just, we, we look at, we put these athletes on a pedestal, right? And I think a lot of times we just, we don't look at them as humans at all. And, and I think that has been a great way to see that, how the show portrays everything. Yeah, I agree. I think it's cool. It gives you an inside look into it all. It's fun. It's, you know, it's, there's a wink and a nod to it a little bit. The sure. whole show, I think. And, um, you know, the thing is I'm going to be, I'm going to be totally honest about something. And I was thinking about this last night. You just said the reason the show has caught fire. Has it like, sometimes when you live in a bubble and you're in your own little house and you're going about your thing, you can't fully tell. Has the show caught fire? Well, let me put it this way. I, so I, I was in LA. It's where Joe and I met. I, during COVID, I came back here. I'm from Cincinnati. Here's how I know the show's real popular. I live in Cincinnati. We haven't had an NBA team since the Royals. Yep. All my buddies or my brothers, they're all watching this. 
And you know what I'm saying? And a lot of them aren't big NBA fans is my point, or some of them aren't even the biggest sports fans. I, I think a lot of people have a lot of interest in this show because again, it, it's giving a different angle that you don't normally see. Cause I think with the, like how many sports dramatization shows have there really been as a yeah, series? Very- I mean, Friday Night Lights is kind of the biggie. Sure. No, for sure. But but that's what I'm saying. I I think with this now, it, it just shows a different light and it shines a different light on these athletes. And especially, you know, for me, just so you know, Jeff, like for me, so I was born at the end of 81. So this is all learning for me as far as like I can, my memories of the Lakers growing up in Ohio. It's funny. I was thinking about this the other day. Like we're a big college basketball town and my dad went to Xavier and I used to go to Xavier and, you know, there was no NBA. Right. I, I, but I remember it, this is what's been kind of fun for me. I just remember my dad always being like, I love magic Johnson. He's always smiling. He's so happy. He's, and it's funny, like as a young child, as a, like a seven, eight year old, like those were some of my early memories of the Lakers, which obviously is talked about. And then, you know, with your book, you go in, in depth as far as everything that else was going on with him uh, off the court. And I think that, I assume that's probably like, do you think that's why magic is shying away from all this, that he doesn't want all the, the the sexual escapades that he had. He doesn't want to relive that. No, I think he's not making money off of it. That's what it is. I don't, I'm I'm not speaking for him. My guess is, and again, like I don't actually have a problem with that. I actually get it again. Like you're going to tell my story and you're not going to pay me a dime. Like, why am I? So I get it. And also he has a Hulu series out. I suppose he's really good. So I'm not, you know, all for it. Um, and I guess there's probably part of it. The thing is, it's really interesting. Definitely in my career in, in sports journalism, you see this, like it's hard. Like I wrote Brett Favre's biography. Okay. I wrote the definitive biography of Brett Favre. Brett Favre would not talk for this book. You know, Brett Favre sent dick pictures to a woman on, you know, with his phone, you know, like, so if you're Brett Favre and you know, this guy's writing a book about you and you know, that has to be in the book. I could see two approaches to that. Number one, I want to take control of this and actually have as much to do with it as possible. But the other is I want to run as far fucking away from this as possible because this is really going to be a really unflattering moment. And it's going to be a big part of the book. So if you're magic and you've had this successful career, this hugely successful career, and you have this cultivated, this beautiful image, which is great. Maybe you're like, maybe it's kind of like what you say. Maybe why do I want to go back into this? Why do I want to talk about all the women I had sex with when I was 25 years old when I'm so far removed from that? So there are probably a bunch of different motivations. Two questions for you based on kind of th- that response. One, uh, while you're watching Winning Time, is there anything that you saw that you were amazed at how big of a leap they took for the fictionalized TV version compared to what you wrote? Or um, was there any moment that you were like, wow, they really took some liberties there? Because obviously they open every show up with this is a dramatization of real life. You know, none of this is necessarily fact. I'll give you one and they'll probably kill me for it, but no, it's not such a big deal. I was watching last night. The actor who plays Dr. J looks like he's 50. He, in fact, he is 50. He's my age. And Dr. <laughs> J was 30. And I got comments from everyone, so I don't feel it's like giving <laughs> like, how old was Dr. J? I'm like, he's 30. That was, I don't know what they were thinking there. Like, I, I actually think, because the show has been so brilliantly cast, like brilliantly cast. Yeah. I mean, Magic Kareem, brilliant. Just brilliant. I do think that they missed a little bit. They cast a guy who was way too old to be Dr. J. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm trying to think. 
I thought they did like I thought they did McKinney's crash brilliantly and perfectly. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's hard. I'm gonna be honest. Like, it's you don't want to be critical critical of your own show. Sure. You know, like, and I'm gonna be honest. Like, I see how hard. Uh, people unlike work. unlike magic, you are making some money on it. So but you want to be? I swear to God. I swear to God, it's not about that. It's I'm not like getting rich off this. You might think I am. I swear to God, I'm not. Number one, number two, it's not about that. Like, I just see how hard these people are working and the grind of it all. And it does remind me of writing a book and the grind. And every time you write, I release a book, and someone gives you like a one star review on Amazon, it's a freaking arrow to the heart. It really is. It's an arrow to the heart. Or anytime you get a bad review, because you work so hard on these things. So like, to sit here and to slam the show or to say, well, they didn't get this, like. Yeah, it's a dramatization. Yes, there are things they took from the book and they did this too. You know, like I get it. Um, it's weird as an author sometimes. But it would be kind of dickish of me, just being honest, to come on here and sort of be like, well, this isn't right and this isn't right. I don't like this because I do respect the effort overall. Uh, the second part of that, of my question is going back to your process. You know, you said Kareem and Magic, two guys, it probably, you know, besides Jerry Buss, the two people most uh, remembered as you know the showtime lakers um and then they didn't want they didn't do interviews for your book and then you write a book about Favre, and he doesn't talk to you and that book's just about brett Favre. the subject right. of the book didn't talk to you have you ever um been hired to write on something and felt like you hit a wall where uh, somebody that was so important to the story wouldn't talk to you and then you just said i i can't do this no, the closest I came was actually recently. It wasn't a book. It was an article. I did a story for Sports Illustrated about um, this just ran like a couple of weeks ago. Do you remember the Henry Ruggs crash in, in uh, Las Vegas, the football player for the Raiders and the girl yeah. hit the girl's car? I did a story about that. And I pitched this story because I really wanted to write it about the intersection of lives. And this football player and this 23-year-old girl who had recently worked at Target, and she died in this intersection. And I busted my ass on this story and I could not get anyone from her vantage point really to talk. No one from Ruggs camp was talking. I was in Vegas, literally driving around, going to the cemetery, going to different places, trying to find anything. And I happened to find a guy named uh, Tony Rodriguez who witnessed the crash. And it turns out he's a homeless heroin addict. And he actually tried helping. He ran up to the car and tried pulling her out. And I was as close as I've ever come to quitting on this story with that because I just thought, I'm not getting this. No one's talking to me. This is a waste of time. My wife was like, you don't quit on stories. She's like, don't quit on stories. You don't quit on stories. And like with books, it's kind of funny when someone says no. Like Favre, I, I, for the longest time, he won't talk. Well, I'm going to double down. I'm going to interview 700 people. And I'm going to talk to every guy you ever played with. And I'm going to go through your high school yearbook and your middle school yearbook. And I'm going to call all these people. And I'm going to tell a story. And it may not be your story from your mouth. That's going to be the story of your life based on the people you impacted and came in contact with. That's my dog. I was, I think that's Brett Favre barking in the background. <laughs> yeah. Stop talking about me, asshole. Uh, I, you know, Jeff, the, you know, obviously, like you said, the, the yeah, attention. That, yeah, sure. Uh, the, the attention that the, the series has brought has I'm sure been great for, for your book and for people finding other things that you've written. Uh, if you had to pick one of your other, books to be turned into a Hollywood series. What, what are you choosing? Uh, I mean, I think, um, I think boys will be boys. The Cowboys book. 
lends itself to a pretty good narrative. I also think the bad guys won about the 86 Mets. Oh my God, my dog. Lends itself to a pretty good narrative as well. Um, personally for me, no one's ever shown interest in it is the Walter Payton book, Sweetness, because I just think his life is such a dramatic and narrative arc. The problem is like, here's something I've learned in this stupid world of Hollywood. Like far and rights are really important and football isn't an international game. So people in China aren't gonna go or Japan aren't gonna go watch a movie about Walter Payton. So you're never gonna get a movie on Walter Payton. So you're better off going the documentary route, blah, 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 blah. And I know someone who knows Denzel Washington, you know, it's like, it's all that stuff. So uh, I would take Payton in a second, but I don't know if it's ever gonna happen. Something I found real fascinating was just how much Magic wanted to win and his drive. And I thought it was really cool reading your book, Jeff, how hard he worked in practice oh, yeah. and how much he busted his ass running sprints. And, and Joe and I have talked about this on our show over the years. We've, we've kind of mocked the whole, you know, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, killer instinct. And, and, and Joe himself, and I know he can say this, has acknowledged like you can be a nice guy and still have a quote unquote killer instinct. And, and I thought that was really cool to read and how it sheds light on a guy who, again, just has this, oh, I'm happy-go-lucky, I'm always smiling, you know, persona about him. But at the end of the day, he's just a fucking dog as far as wanting to win. And I think that's really, really important because these guys get shed these killer instinct or like a LeBron non-killer instinct. But at the end of the day, Magic 100% had that. First of all, 100% agree. Um, I also think... It's really interesting. One thing I'm big on is I think the whole magic bird narrative is a little bit bullshit. And here's why. Everyone's like, if people buy into this and they still buy into it, Larry Bird, the hardworking, blah, blah, blah. Not just because, well, yeah, because he's white, but the hardworking, gritty, not that athletic. And then there'll be like Magic Johnson, the athletics. Like, I'm sorry, like Larry Bird is a better athlete than 99.9% .9 of the world. When people are like, oh, he's not that athletic. Really? Larry Bird isn't that like. It's a ridiculous statement to make. And it's been said a million times. Larry Bird, not that great of an athlete. The guy's a freaking world-class athlete. Played yeah. in the NBA for 14 years or whatever. Like that is, you cannot be a shitty athlete and be Larry Bird. It's impossible. He was a not just a good athlete, an exceptional athlete. And here's Magic Johnson. And everyone's like, oh, the athletic wonder. Like Larry Bird and Magic Johnson probably had about the same vertical. Magic Johnson was not a great leaper. He wasn't a great outside shooter. He freaking worked his ass off. He played the angles just like Bird. Like, athletically, I'd say they were fairly comparable. But it's just people see the black guy and the white guy, and they see the flashy guy and the less flashy guy. And it, it actually, for years, has annoyed the hell out of me. The whole Bird thing is the one that actually really gets me. Like, the whole Larry Bird wasn't a great athlete. Really? Larry Bird wasn't a great – like, I don't even see what argument can be made in that point. Um, and, yeah, Magic was freaking driven beyond driven. And the other guy – who doesn't get his credit really is Kareem. I mean, Kareem was driven hardcore and like took a beating in the way Shaq took a beating, except he didn't have Shaq's size, you know? And like back then you really could. So like every night when Kareem was playing in the eighties, you were getting your shit kicked out of you by Mark Eaton or James Donaldson or Daryl Dawkins. And these were big physical guys when fouls weren't called as leniently as they are today. So I think both those guys incredibly dogged and, and driven. Yeah, I mean, like you said about the Larry Bird thing, it's it's crazy that people and and this is something that you see from sort of sports talking heads forever is like they everybody just picks a lane on somebody and they stick with it. I mean, Larry Bird, the idea most people you know who are six nine, they don't run a lot at all. 
They're, you know, let alone being, you know, uh, having all the skill he has. But now, how much do you think um, sort of the the popular perceptions, the media created perceptions of these guys kind of like they end up taking on because Magic Johnson is, you know, to this day is going around Mr. Smiley, Mr. Showtime, you know, whatever. And and Larry Bird's career essentially kind of undone by him paving his own driveway. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I think um, I think Magic has definitely bought into it in a huge way. You know, I think I'm oh, sorry. Um, I think Magic has bought into it in a huge way. I think Magic loves everything about his image. And why would why wouldn't you? You know, and I actually I would love to see a truth serum given to Larry Bird about how he actually feels about Magic Johnson. And, and I don't mean he doesn't like him. In fact, I'm sure he loves him. But like whenever they're together, Magic Johnson does 80 five percent of the talking you know and sometimes you look at larry bird if you look closely like there's this famous appearance of the two of them on letterman years ago and if you look closely at larry bird again like i think they're friends i think they get along well they have this kinship no doubt about it but i think it's like when you have a friend or when you're married to someone not that i am but when you're married to someone and your spouse just won't shut the fuck up <laughs> i sometimes i feel like when you see the two of them together it's like watching a husband and wife at a party where the wife just goes on and on and you look at the husband and he's like, you know, like, like another drink and like rolling his eyes. Um, that's that relationship seems a little real. I actually think. So let me ask you about as far as sports dynasties, like where, where do you put, you know, we talk about the Patriots. We talk about the, obviously the bulls of the nineties and, you know, you can go on into so many different dynasties. Where do you put the Showtime Lakers as far as, We'll say sports in general, and then we'll say NBA. I mean, high in that high area. They're not the biggest rivalry. of. I mean, they're not the biggest dynasty of all time. You have to go back. I mean, if you want to be geeky about it, you go back to the Yankees of the 1920s. with Sure. And obviously, the, the Jordan Bulls dynasty is huge. And the Celtics with Bill Russell, you know, and Kuzi and that team, those teams. I think they're a top 10. I think they're a top 10. The thing is, like, I just think if you look at their cultural impact, if you add that to it, um, it's much higher and like the cultural impact of the Lakers and magic Johnson really did magic and bird coming together along at that time, having just played for the national championship in college in the most watched college basketball game of all time. That was a sonic boom for the NBA. So like, are the Lakers the greatest dynasty in NBA history? No. Are they greatest dynasty in sports history? Not even close, but I think you could take their impact, the societal impact and rival it with any dynasty or any, sort of run that a team's been on ever. Well, as somebody who went deeper with that dynasty than just about anybody on planet earth that wasn't on or coaching for the team, you know, obviously Jerry Buss and magic and Kareem, and then, you know, a, a, a little below them, Pat Riley and the coaching staff are, get all the praise for who's responsible for that. As somebody who's, you know, in, in the bowels of that team, Who's the next man up? Who's the unsung hero of the Lakers dynasty? Who's the guy that doesn't get the credit he deserves? All right, I want to tell you something funny. I am um, maybe a year ago. I was on a podcast that Michael Cooper hosted and, um, and he, and you have a copy of my book behind you, right? Yeah. Okay. Wait, can you hold that up? Can you grab that? Sure. There's a reason he goes, Jeff, here's my question for you. Why is AC green on the cover instead of me? <laughs> right here and i gotta say that's a freaking good question like that is a very good question and i was like 
I don't really know what to tell you. That's a fair freaking question. I, it's AC Green, important key player, best virgin to ever play in the NBA by far, <laughs> unless there's something we don't know. Does he belong on the cover with like Magic, Kareem, and Riley and Worthy? No. So if we go past, I mean, I think the big four, obviously Riley, Magic, Kareem, Worthy, and then obviously Jerry Bosso, five. I think Cooper's got to be next. I think Cooper was a freaking defensive glue. He guarded Bird, uh, high-flying, exciting, uh, local kid. Um, so I think Cooper. And then right after that would be the, because they were traded for each other, is the Norm Nixon-Byron Scott hybrid those two guys and sort of what they brought to the team. Um, but Cooper is in Michael Cooper's defense. He does belong on the cover. And it's a little weird. If I could change the cover and I love AC green, I'd probably take him off the cover. It's funny you said, cause I was actually wondering that, you know, as I'm going through the book, I'm thinking, well, Cooper was there from the start. You know, he was there the whole time. Yeah. And obviously AC green comes in, but what else I found interesting and we just talked about magic doesn't get the recognition as far as the drive and how hard he worked. I feel the same way with Pat Riley. When I read this book and his mantra of all that mattered was winning, right? How he kind of tried to get the wives under control and how it was just about winning from, from that angle to game preparation to how hard he worked, you know, when he was doing the wild two a days before the, the one Pistons finals where they lost, I almost get, see if you see this as well. I kind of get Nick Saban Belichick vibes with Riley that I feel was kind of hidden under the good looks and the nice suits. Yeah, he was a badass. I mean, his, his phrase was peripheral opponents. That's what he'd say to his players. I'm going to warn you, you, you have to be wary of peripheral opponents. And you would think, all right, peripheral opponents, like groupies, you know, uh, junk business deals, stuff like that. But no, he meant like your wives and your kids. Yeah. Like, <laughs> You cannot be distracted. Nothing can get in your way. We have a singular focus um, and it's winning. And that is it. Your focus is winning and that is all. And uh, the, the amazing thing is, if you actually think about it, it is very hard, very hard to get professional athletes to buy into that. Like Nick Saban, as we all remember, coached the Miami Dolphins. Nobody wanted to hear his bullshit. You know, like Bobby Petrino coached the Atlanta Falcons. Nobody wanted to hear his bullshit. John Calipari coached the New Jersey Nets. Nobody wants to hear his bullshit. It is incredibly hard. It almost takes a cult-like leader. And I'm, I'm being sincere about this, to get professional athletes who are getting paid millions of dollars to buy into, you know, we, this is everything you should be thinking about. Uh, in LA, no less. And that he was able to do that and then do it again in New York and then do it again in Miami. I mean... I almost think people talk Red Auerbach, people talk Phil Jackson, and they should. I think Riley gets a tiny bit overlooked. I think you can make the argument greatest coach in NBA history. I, you know, I said to Andy in in watching the show and then in him reading your book now uh, that the butterfly effect of that Jack McKinney bike accident and the leading to Pat Riley getting a shot to coach might be like the greatest single like moment like uh, that affected the league over i mean you look at when you said a cult-like figure getting guys to buy in i mean pat riley got lebron james to come to miami and join forces with two other guys like the you know even just in that alone if you look at the nba now the nba now and probably going forward is going to be teams where they go let's get a couple stars 
and pair them together. Try to find guys who want to play together and try to build around those two guys. And that is Pat Riley, 100%. Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting. I, I often think of, of terms in terms of, of politics to a certain degree. And I always think like, so we had this whole, you know, Trump thing in America and everyone's like, oh, thank God we moved on to Joe Biden. We're gone. But you can't, you can't put something back in the bottle, right? Something poisonous was unleashed in this country. And you can't put like what Riley has done, which I don't think is very good for the NBA as far as team building via stars. Like I grew up a diehard Nets fan. I freaking hate the Nets now. I find them unlikable and just what's the fun of building like that? I don't even see the joy of it. You win a championship. Wow. Because you paid the three highest stars and got them playing. Like, where's the joy of building? But I think that's the way it is now. And that's just, it's just what it is, you know? And that's Riley. Again, the impact that he's had is enormous, whether you like it or not. And I like a lot of it and hate some of it, but the impact he had is enormous. Well, Jeff, I know you're on limited time and uh, you, you got to go, but we now really- that I'm a Hollywood, now that I'm a Hollywood, yeah. big, I got to go in the pool and then I have um, Madonna. <laughs> I just dated myself by making a Madonna reference. I know I could do better, but <laughs> I want I want to ask you one quick question before you go, because I've I've read a number of your books and I think guys go on Amazon and just put Jeff Perlman's name in. And if you're not an NBA fan, I promise he's written things about whatever sport it is you love. Uh, I found you obviously through the originally through your John Rocker piece and then the the bad guys won because I'm a diehard Mets fan. Um but good year for this year. Yeah, right. It's, it's not too bad. Uh hopefully you'll be writing a book about this Mets team one day. <laughs> Nobody nobody's buying a baseball book anymore. That's yeah. sad. Yeah. Anyway. I'll, I'll buy all the copies if you if you eventually write the Steve Cohen era Mets book. But yeah. the the question I have for you sort of overall of all the things you did you do such intense research and you go so deep and that's why what makes your books so great. Um, what is the single wildest discovery, the single wildest fact that jumps out to you as something you were like, well, didn't see that coming. Oh, well, when I wrote Walter Payton's book and I just want to preface this by saying, I freaking love Walter Payton. He's one of my favorite athletes of all time. Um, Early on, I met early on in the process, I went to Jackson State to meet his brother, Eddie, who was at the time the golf coach at Jackson State. And I just read Walter Payne's autobiography. He wrote an autobiography called Never Die Easy that came out actually after he died. And it's just this glowing Walter Payton portrait. And I said to Eddie, I'm like, uh, man, your brothers, he's just almost like too good to be true. It was a naive question. And Eddie's like, eh, eh. And um, when I was researching Walter Payton, He's inducted into the Hall of Fame, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And his wife was in the first row and his girlfriend was in the third row. And the it was really awkward. And the whole week, Walter Payne's handlers are keeping them apart, okay? Keeping them apart, keeping them apart. Wife's name is Connie. And um, after the ceremony is over, Connie goes to one of Walter's people and says, I want to meet her. And, uh, whoa, what? I want to meet her. And Walter Payne's wife and Walter Payne's girlfriend, who were sitting two rows apart at the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, sit down in the lobby of a uh, of a hotel in, in Canton. And Connie says to the girlfriend, basically, I don't give a shit. You can have him. Wow. And that I got to say, I did not see coming. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty wild. That's, that's wild. That, wow. <laughs> and um, to be honest, like you report stuff like that, and I can tell the story now in hindsight. 
um, when you write a biography of someone like a definitive, definitive, deep dive, deep dive, and you find out stuff like that, you know, you have to use it because I mean, there's a, there was a Bill Cosby biography that came out only a couple of years before all the revelations came out. And to write a glowing biography of Bill Cosby, knowing that this stuff is hanging there, you just can't be a responsible biographer and do it. And one of the negative things that comes with this job is that like, that's just part of it. And you do make a little bit of a deal with the devil. Like you are going to write about people and it's going to make family members unhappy and it's going to make that person unhappy. It's just one of the, I don't have a solution for it because uh, it actually kind of sucks in a way. I don't know. Well, I mean, you know, I don't know if it's a solution, but I'll tell you, and having you on this show today and then having you on my show in the past and then talking to you numerous times, like the one thing that you get to that I can say about you and that you get to sort of stand on uh, as your careers, you're just you're just telling the truth. You're not creating any of this. You are a great reporter and you are a great journalist and you know, we thank you so much for coming on and all your books, everybody go buy them, read them, uh, get obsessed with them. The way Andy has recently just finished being obsessed with Showtime, uh, watch winning time. Anything else you, you want to tell folks out there, Jeff, before we let you go? You know, Joe, I'm working really hard and I want to see if you'll join me actually to work on the bad Ronald reunion tour. (laughs) I, I am I am all about it. I mean, between the two of us, we've got you know we've got our claws in two members. Uh, you get Del so, Gray, I get the Owl. We'll find yeah. DJ Detox and uh, Kaz Gamble. We'll get it going. Uh, absolutely, I think that's I think that's a good a good thing for us to put our efforts toward this this spring and this summer. I'm in. I'm in. That's all I got. Thank well, you Jeff, so much for yeah. coming on, Th- Jeff. Thanks, Jeff. We really appreciate it. All right, my pleasure. Take care. Talk soon. Dude, I could talk to him all day. I know it's great. I, I appreciate how much time he gave us, but we'll, we'll definitely have to, uh, we'll definitely have to, you know, mind that, uh, one more time. He's got another, I, you know, I, when I first talked to him, he said, he's got another book he's working on, but he's not publishers are not allowing him to talk about it yet. I know for a fact that it is a subject that like myself, you're going to be a very, very excited about. Oh, and, oh, oh I, well, you already gave me, you know, a, a sneak and, and I'll just say I am, uh, because I was, I'm a huge fan of that person, yeah. but so, uh, so next time, uh, Next book that Jeff comes out, we'll have him come back and talk. You know, he said people aren't buying baseball books anymore, but I guess people are still buying uh, football books still. So, you know, we'll sneak in a little baseball to that football book the next time. Next time we have Jeff on. Well, you know, I didn't have time to ask Jeff this, but you and I can discuss it. You know, as 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 I'm reading the book and obviously all these just just wild details, I mean, I don't think people understand how much the cocaine and the crack and the drug, you know, it was just, as you know, as, as an eighties Mets guy, like it was prevalent in all the sports, very yeah. prevalent in the NBA and also with the Lakers. And I mean, they started up at sex parties. It, it's got to make you wonder, Joe, that that was a, a capsule in time because with social media, there's no way you have the '80s Lakers with the sex parties and the cocaine use and the parties at the Forum Club after the games. I mean, it really is just trapped in time, which I—that's why I find it so interesting, appealing, and and just fascinating to read. 
that that's why of course you know we do we do a lot we much like a lot of the sports media we do it here you know obviously i'm very passionate about uh the greatest player of all time conversation but you know you almost even for us like we have to say very early on when we start conversations like that it's like you can't compare eras you know you can compare skill sets and you can compare what kind of guy you want on your team and you whatever, but you really cannot compare eras because I mean, look at what's happening now. Like there are teams being undone in the NBA and the NFL and baseball, obviously less so by Instagram posts. Yeah. You know, some girl taking a, a picture of James Harden asleep in a bed and putting it on her Tinder profile. Like the, idea, like how many Tinder profiles do you think some Lakers would have been involved in if there was that social media? I mean, you could almost argue and like it, it's nuts to think about, but obviously magic Johnson's career is shortened by his HIV diagnosis. Right. And we can, we can, uh, you know, speculate and guess on whatever on, on how that comes to be. But if you, everything that you read about magic Johnson and everything you watch about Magic Johnson, including in this winning time show, he was uh, promiscuous. Sure. You know, is, the, is the, the, the nicest way to say it. When you are in an era of social media, you cannot do that and no. get away with it. No. You can't. You absolutely can't do that. Like there's an argument to be made. Magic Johnson continues playing indefinitely in a social media era because he can't go out and do that. It is an interesting argument, by the way, after reading the book, I, I just found myself. And again, I'm not just saying this. This is truly how I feel. I finished it on Saturday. I, I wanted more. I wanted more about this Lakers and about the Showtime era. So the book ends with his HIV announcement. Spoiler alert, but whatever. That's how the, the show starts. That's how the it's, book it, ends. it's basically a decade run with the Lakers, like that 79, 80 team to that 90 season Correct. where he gets. So in the book, Jeff writes exactly what magic said at the press conference. And I was like, did he really say this? I have to play this audio, Joe. It is wild. And look, I'm actually not here to knock magic. Cause I can't imagine, especially then people thought it was a death sentence when you got HIV in the early nineties, but how he phrased this and the uncomfortable verbiage, it's just, I'm just going to play the first few seconds. How he says it is just mind blowing. Like this is how he announces his retirement. First of all, let me say good, good after late afternoon. Um, because of, um, the HIV virus that I have attained, uh, I will have to retire from the Lakers. That's all I want to play because yeah. of the HIV virus I've attained as if he had just like attained a stock portfolio or a yacht. Yeah. <laughs> I just can't believe he said because of the HIV virus I've attained. Like you hate to laugh, but it's a comedic moment for me. Obviously, we're comedians, and you just I mean, say, at the at the time, you know, especially now. I mean, to, the the only defense you can make 
uh, of magic in, in that, in the way he positioned that is the same defense that we make to all the jokes that were made, all the, re- the negative reactions, the uh, Carl Malone, like all the things is like, it was a wild time. Oh my God. And so people knew so little. I mean, we've talked about on this show, you know, uh, I, I have my sort of ongoing joke about whatever we're not going to recap, but anyway, uh, that, you know, it, it, it was so unknown, you know, it, that's almost like it's so magic Johnson, but I'm sure they gave him, uh, a, a, uh, that, that my point is that's the magic Johnson tweets of HIV announcements. But do you think that's what I want to know? You would think he had something scripted. There's no way they said because of the HIV virus I've attained. Yeah. Dude, you attain a new house. You don't attain eight. <laughs> like, yeah. like, where were you? I want to ask you that because I vividly remember the next day or that night. I can tell you. I can tell you where I was. I remember going to my buddy's house. I was in the fourth grade. And I remember discussing it and discussing it with his mom. And we were like, Magic Johnson has HIV. You know, like you, you couldn't even wrap your head around it. it it was such a colossal announcement and bombshell you you couldn't even process it even as yeah, like a 10 be, year old boy because at the time you know that's going on when you're a kid and you're a young sports fan like, like you know you're not a you're not a 40 something that's reading the new york times every day yeah there's there's hiv and aids stories out there here and there a little bit that come across your worldview as a as a kid or as a young adult as opposed to again somebody who's like you know getting their their weekly world news this is this is the introduction to hiv it was a lot for a lot of people this is pre you know tom hanks in philadelphia this is pre Pedro on the real world. This is pre like a lot of things that were other young people's like this to for me, like I remember, um, you know, there being an after school movie or there being like thing or, you know, I, 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 I feel like I was more sort of in touch with what was going on in the world than your average 10 year old. But for me, it's like, okay, this is real. It's like, it's like OJ, uh, the OJ thing. I learned yeah. everything. I my 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 introduction to the legal system was, was OJ. OJ. Yeah. I, me too. I felt like I went to I felt like I went to law school. <laughs> yeah, I was learning crazy. words, you know. It's crazy, man. I'm it I'm is. learning I'm learning statutes of the law. It's and, it's wild. And then I remember when everything started to come out, and then magic started to be way more transparent about his sexual past. That was another you know, as a, as a, again, as a kid, it was a tough thing to swallow. Like I said to Jeff, you know, magic was basically before my time, but I still remember vividly the bulls Lakers finals. That's probably one of the first finals that I really, really remember well, but I remember when it all started to come out and magic saying, look, some guys had drugs, some guys had different vices. Mine was girls. And then you just start to, you know, early on, you start to read and I'm in the fifth, sixth grade, the next few years. Holy shit. Magic was having sex with everything. There's this excerpt from his book, which is fascinating. I forget who it was. Maybe it was the Lakers assistant coach or someone who worked in the front office PR. I I forget. 
But regardless, their car was out of commission. And this, this, this says it all about how big of a horn dog magic was. So the car's out of commission and magic says, Oh, you can do take my Mercedes for a couple of days. So magic, which again shows see, like, he's a good dude. He's like, Hey, he was not one of those athletes. who's like, nobody touched my fucking car. Hey man, borrow my Mercedes for a few days while your car's in the shop. So in the book, Jeff describes, it's like a $40,000 Mercedes, which, you know, who knows what the equivalent is nowadays. Anyway, Two million dollars. Thanks, Biden. (laughs) So, yeah. So, so whatever. Something happens to the car and it literally basically like goes up like in like, I don't know what this dude did. I don't know if it was the trainer, which was Gary Vitti. I I forget who it was. Regardless, somebody he lent it to, the car goes up and he shows up to practice and the car is completely gone. And he's like, dude, I'm sorry, Magic. Your Mercedes Benz is ruined. And in the book, Magic doesn't even act mad about the car. He says, Did you save the girl's number from the glove compartment that I just <laughs> like it was in the glove compartment, the middle console? And the guy was like, No, seriously, Magic, your car, I don't know if you think I'm just, your car is gone. It's, it's done for. And again, Magic's like, I don't care about that. Did you save the number? And to me, that small story, right, is a microcosm of just how much sex magic was having. Just it was just lube all over the engine that that ignited. He kept his lube on the engine to keep it warm. Yeah, man, I found I, I found myself down some clips. I found one with him and Oprah saying he never wore condoms ever, like ever. And. uh of course, we're not going to go there. But then it just it reminded me of our conversations uh, in the past with contracting HIV. But well, you know, Andy, it could, let's let uh, we. I know we have other sports stories. Yeah, to I'd talk, like to get into talk about NBA so let, now. So let's. But I, I want. I'll. We'll put a button on the Jeff Perlman interview. Thanks again to Jeff Perlman for coming on. I really yeah. can't express enough uh, to our listeners out there. You know, something that's happening in uh, in sort of media today is like we're doing these fast turnarounds of everybody's story there's currently shows about the uber exec and we work and theranos whatever like these are stories that happened like eight years ago that we're now making like tv shows and movies about but in the world of sports uh you know jeff is the guy this is like you want to go back and you want to get the story of the 86 Mets, the Cowboys dynasty, the Lakers dynasty, the second Lakers dynasty with Shaq and Kobe, um, the USFL, all that stuff. Jeff, Jeff's books are awesome. And uh, we thank him for coming on. The, the one thing that I really took away from his interview, like the, the standout thing that I was really, um, I really liked hearing from him because we're, we're, this is a conversation that's been going on uh, regarding the winning time show and people's reaction, whether it be magic or Kareem, Jerry West, the bus family, whoever uh, is when he said, if you don't participate, like I'm writing a book about you one way or the other. I agree. I really like you don't participate. you, You have an opportunity to tell your side of the story. Correct. And if you don't, 
other people are going to tell your side for you. And I just, I thought that was a really, really cool. Obviously he, like we talked about, he is not responsible for every single thing that is being portrayed on winning time. Their Hollywood is, of it isn't, but for him, for his books, I think that's a really, really cool way of looking at it. It's like, listen, I'm writing a Brett Favre book, whether you like it or not. I suggest you just talk to me about sure. it. Sure. I, I, I totally agree. And I, and I think that's a great point. Especially when you look at Showtime. He got everybody else, man. Yeah. He got everybody else to talk. The Bus family, he became really tight with Jeannie Bus. I read some articles in the LA Times about that. Jeannie Bus was bringing was showing up when Jeff was teaching some courses. Like they were that tight to speak. I mean, he got everybody but Kareem and Magic. And if you don't like the way you're portrayed, everyone else, like he said, is there. You're hanging out with Michael Cooper all the time, all the time, man. So if you don't like what he's saying as far as your addiction to sex, because they said that at one point in the book, that the players, it was the point the players were concerned. Does Magic care more about getting laid than basketball? Now, obviously, he didn't, which it also shows how hard he worked and he busted his ass and he really did have just a killer instinct of being driven to just win. But I couldn't agree more. You got to go on record if you don't want things said about you that could be misconstrued. Yeah. Now, I think we should segue. We talk about Pat Riley in the book to the current day heat. And I can't help but think of him again. Like you said, he got LeBron. He got Bosch to go. Now it seems to be working. They've already made one finals with Jimmy Butler. Here they are again, looking really good in the first round. And again, the architect, as always, Pat Riley. Well, you know, Jeff said uh, arguably the greatest coach in NBA history. I'll, 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 I'm a huge Pat Riley guy. Yeah. I'd argue... That's a tough, that's a tough sell, you know, with Popovich, with what Phil Jackson was able to accomplish. Now we can, we can talk at length about, um, you know, what, what, Pat, what Phil Jackson, the, the talent Phil Jackson had as compared to the talent uh, Pat Riley ever had. It's a tough sell though. And in, in the same way, it's a tough sell to argue, you know, Eli Manning's better than Tom Brady. Will I make the argument? Sure. I'll make it, but it's a tough sell. It's tough. You're please sledding. Please, you're, please, please don't ever do that. You're sledding uphill. But uh, as far as coach slash exec, I don't even think it's, I don't think there's a close second because, yeah, we, you know, uh, we talked about it with Jeff and Jeff said, oh, I don't like the way the NBA is going with, we're, we're, we're putting a lot of stars together. This heater or one seed. They didn't, they're not doing that right now. No, this they're is, not. This is not the strategy. They, I would argue Jimmy Butler, uh, when they go and acquire him, not even a superstar. No. I, I, I'd argue Jimmy Butler currently not a superstar. No, and he was damaged goods coming from Minnesota. They're a zero superstar team. Yeah. They're the one seed. They're looking really good. Yeah. I totally agree. They have pieces that have fit together. Now they've drafted well. They've added some, some nice signings again, but they really are. They are a non-superstar team. I'd almost go as so far as to say, I'm. Listen, I, I've I've watched the scheming mind of Pat Riley. 
personally going back to that Lakers team, obviously in depth with his time at the Knicks. I sort of, uh, you know, dive in head first to the Pat Riley. Uh, I, I, I mean, I watch him with the Heat because they're battling the Knicks. I watch him with the Heat with the Shaq. I watch him with the Heat with the LeBron. I'd almost go f- so far as to say the genius of Pat Riley was like, hey, in this moment where I can go out and get LeBron and Bosch and Wade, I can put together a mini dynasty. When the whole league starts doing it, dare I say he is actively playing a game against what the rest of the league is doing, which he started. Oh, every team out there is going to hamper themselves with two max contracts and try to fill out a roster around those guys of budget players. Well, if the whole league's doing that, what if I go out and get hella value guys? I get Lowry on the cheap. I get Butler on the cheap. I get the, I, I have the, you know, the sharpshooters that I get out of the draft. Like I'm going to almost say Pat Riley's current strategy for winning is a blueprint that he created to beat Pat Riley's old style of winning. That is bonkers. No, that's a great point. I never thought of that. And it's true. Because right now, if you look at the Eastern Conference, they're obviously playing great. The Bucs are playing great. The Celtics are playing. You, you know, you have a lot of teams. And you talk about the star power. I mean, the Brooklyn experiment just... I know Kyrie didn't play enough games. And I know it was disjointed and James Harden, but yeah, dude, I, I, in a way I think it's, I don't know if it's good or bad for the overall league, them getting their ass kicked in this series. I always feel like you need a villain, right? You need a heel and Brooklyn would be that villain. If they kept winning. Here's where I think it is good for the league. It's good for the league. And I, and I said this about this Nets team because, remember, my Knicks trade Chris Tapps-Berzingis for pennies on the dollar solely to get into the two-max contract uh, race. Two-max two max contract race being Kevin Durant, and at the time, everybody kind of knew he wanted Kyrie to come with him. People scoffed at me, scoffed at me when I said, I'm a Knicks fan and I would love Kevin Durant, but I don't want him if he's coming with Kyrie Irving. I mean, I went, there are battles with me on Twitter with people who are defending Kyrie Irving and Kyrie Irving's talent. The reason I think this is good for the league, I will say this. I believe this Nets team has been wholly undone by Kyrie Irving and just Kyrie Irving. Forget Steve Nash is a, you know, a green coach. Forget Kevin Durant was injured. James Harden leaves because he's sick of dealing with the Kyrie Irving situation. Steve Nash is the, you know, a, a Dan Tony disciple and the ultimate pass first point guard. He's hampered with having Kyrie Irving with the ultimate not pass point guard. And then you have Kevin Durant, who's arguably one of the greatest players of all time. This team is undone by Kyrie Irving's style of play, 
Kyrie Irving refusing to play and now Kyrie Irving not being in shape because he didn't play. Where I think this is good for the league is I think this is where the wave sort of crashes back and it says, you can be a superstar and you can have a lot of say, but you can't have all the say. You can't just decide you're not going to play by the rules because then you take a team to the point where we cannot compete to win because of your ego. So hopefully more teams go, we're not going to deal with a Kyrie Irving type. And I think that is good for the league. A little bit of a power yeah. pull back by teams, sure, coaches, teammates, et cetera. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. It's almost like the pendulum had swung too far one way. And now it's starting the, to correct the player itself. empowerment. I, I think player empowerment is good in sports in general. Players for too long have been treated like, you know, employees when sure. really the, when they really they are what the entire leagues are built on the back of. Yeah. But Kyrie is an example of it going too far. And Ben Simmons is an example of it going too far. And both of those guys are on the nets and the nets are getting their absolute ass kicked. I always and forget. They're, and they're being embarrassed. But I, I just, I, he's so insignificant to me at this point. I forget Ben Simmons exists. I'll be honest. I don't know oh, if yeah. that's dramatic, but why do we, I feel like he gets this, he, he's getting this treatment still. What, like you're not a star, dude. You're just not. You're not a star. You're not a star. You talked about Jimmy Butler. And when he went to Miami and he had all that baggage from the previous stops, it's like, it's like, like what, what is Ben Simmons at this point? Is yeah. it as if he was on that Nets team? Would it really change the outcome of this first series against Boston? I mean, I don't think it changes the outcome. Perhaps no. it it changes how long it takes to get to the eventual outcome. So let me ask you this then, you know, it looks like, again, I just named three teams playing real well. Who do you like in that finals Eastern conference finals right now? Because you're looking at a Boston Milwaukee second round matchup, which wow, that's a hell of a semifinals for the conference. I Boston has surprised with has surprised me with how great they have played against the Nets. And I think they're flying with some confidence and they're going to fly into the next series with some confidence. That being said, I think the Bucks it may be a tough series and anything can happen in a you know, should it go a game 7 and injuries and blah blah blah, we never know. But I, on paper, two teams being what they are, I, it's it's it seems crazy not to go with what is a, a team that is been incredible in the second half of the year has figured out their team defense and is dominating a first round series against a team that I thought would give them trouble just on the talent level alone. I still think the Bucks get to an Eastern conference finals. You like the heat as well. I do. And I, somebody asked me yesterday and I said, gun to my head, I go bucks, go back to the finals, but it's just so hard to repeat that I could see any one of those three teams making the finals. I think Philly is still a little flawed 
um, uh, from a coaching standpoint, from, uh, you know, but like, I don't, they're not out of the mix too. that the conference semifinals in the East. If it's those four teams is going to be about as high quality of a conference semifinals we've seen in a while. Yeah, I agree. I don't rule out any four of them going, but I think if I had to rank them, I would maybe go Milwaukee, Miami, almost like a one, a one B and then a Philly Boston is almost a, 3a 3b as you know you give up give that second place to whatever team is sure the 1b and then moving out west a lot of competitive series a lot of series seemingly all i mean we we've got it we've got to talk about we we gotta we gotta do this i mean once again the ruther curse rears its head in a major sport i mean brandon ingram is single-handedly keeping the Pelicans there. Andy Ruther, the Andy Ruther curse. I mean, you called Brandon Ingram a bust. I don't think you, I don't think you said capital B bust. I think you said capital bust, like all letters in bust capitalized. You were like, this dude is. I hated watching him in the Lakers, man. I just (laughs) thought he was such garbage. Imagine him on the Lakers now. Well, again, it's a lot of times it's about, you know, with anything in life, it's about a change of scenery. It's about who you're playing with. It obviously did not work out on the Lakers. So, and you love to, I love to see it. First of all, uh, you know, a guy overcoming the Ruther curse, not that it's really overcoming. I mean, if anything, it hoists somebody to the new levels of greatness combined with my boy, CJ McCollum. Uh, you gotta love with the Pelicans. I mean, the Pelicans making that a series is just that's good for the NBA. Yeah. Also, again, injury. You know, you take out Devin Booker, man. Come on. Sure. Like, I don't think this is. But a I mean, series. but I mean, Devin the, Booker's playing. Sure, but I mean that that's a Suns team is in the NBA Finals last year. The oh, Pelicans no. have to play their way into an eight seed. Sure. I just think if he's healthy, it's three one right now. Like, like without a doubt. And the series will be over. Chris Paul had four points last night. Yeah. He just can't do that. And he and that's and that is what he does in the in the playoffs. If you follow his his career, he plays great, plays shitty, plays great, plays mediocre. He, sure. The lack of consistency is his biggest knock, and it's justified because he plays like that. I still think the Suns get through that series. Yeah, I do too. Now, do you think the who do you think gets through the Mavs Jazz series? Wow. That game on Saturday, man. Hell of a game. Absolute hell of a game. I'm rooting for the Mavs. Sorry. Well, to me, I mean, the, sorry, the way, Nikki, sorry, Nikki D. Yeah. The way the Mavs, uh, you know, fight in that series before Luca comes back, then to get Luca back. I I'm I'm gonna say it. I mean, if Luca if Luca is not hampered by this injury going forward, if he can play uh, at his you know ninety percent of his full strength from here on going forward, I think the Mavs are sneaky, you know, contenders. Well, look at this transformation. I shouldn't say transformation. Look at how well 
Jalen Brunson has come on. Man. I mean, did a, anyone a, see this? Uh, probably just Jay Wright, who's like, uh, you're welcome. I'm retiring. Um, but like, I think the most surprising thing is a very old school game, a, yes. a, a, a type of play that you don't really see be super successful in the NBA anymore. And not, I mean, it, he is truly being super successful right now. It's amazing. Now, obviously, I'm more of a college guy than you, and I got to see him play because they're in Xavier's conference in the Big East. And he was great. He was absolutely phenomenal for Villanova. But again, second round pick, undersized, like you said, not your 2020 on era, you know, basketball player. But goddamn, he makes it work. And like yeah. you said, now that Luke is back, they're a fun team to watch. They play hard. They play. And tough. I think that's I think that's why the Mavs are a low key contender because you know Brunson gets to. It, it was, it's almost like the Jeremy Lin situation. I mean, it's not Lin sanity, like, you know, all, all due respect to Jeremy Lin, but the insanity happens because Carmelo Anthony's out and the team doesn't know what else to do. So they, they give somebody an opportunity to be, to kind of take over. And Brunson does that in Luca's absence. And now he gets to play with all that confidence. And now those guys get to, you know, go full speed ahead together. I think, I think that makes them a low key contender. Yeah. No, I'd agree. It, it's just, you know, these these series have been they've been so competitive and fun to watch. Even, even just, you know, let's say you're doing stuff and we're all busy and it's nonstop. I know even for me, I, 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 a lot of these games are tough to watch start to finish. But, you know, watch the second half or watch the fourth quarter when these games come down to the end. Just they're so intense it's playoff basketball and I, and you I think, and that's and that's the thing but people you I know they forget to, every year how the intensity level just yeah jacks up and you, you know people for a while we joked about it it's like christmas becomes the unofficial start to nba season and that's when people dive in this year felt a little different even like it's sort of like nba to me in terms of basketball i know people love march madness and i love people like whatever but like NBA playoff basketball to me is kind of as good as sports gets when you, when you talk about the athleticism involved, the quality of play, the way they raise the level, you know, you're taking all the shitty teams out of the mix at that point. Um, and especially, I mean, we're in a first round that's com very competitive kind of across the board, but next round that's going to be, yeah, next round will be great. It's going to be, you know, athletic competition to, that is truly the highest level. Well, I have to bring this up because I just, I just don't get this. Is there something I'm missing? We're talking college and NBA. Is this Chet Holmgren guy really going to be the number one overall pick? Dude, is there something I'm missing? And I, it, 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 I just, first of all, don't ever, don't ever, ever anyone ever bring me the Kevin Durant of like, well, Kevin Durant was a skinny seven footer. Dude, he was not this Chet Holmgren guy. I just feel reeks so hard of a, can you imagine this guy as a number one overall pick as a bust? I just, well, <clears throat> here's the thing with NBA number and, one overalls, and, number top three overalls is a lot of these 
a lot of them end up being busts because <clears throat> more so than in any other sport, I mean, you never see this in the NFL. Uh, you see it in baseball a little bit, but in the NBA, so much draft on potential, potential, yes. potential, 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 because in, in football, you got to produce. There's never, there's never been, I mean, there's never been a guy in the history of the NFL. And they were like, Oh, he, he carried the ball six times, but we see what he could do. It's like, but in the NBA, because these guys develop and they grow so much, they put on so much weight. It's like you are drafting on potential a little bit and you're drafting on this guy, maybe more so than other guys in the draft. Like if it goes the way it could, could be a franchise changer. Whereas this guy right here, we could draft him and he could help tomorrow. I get that, but we talk about the eye test in sports. And again, I could be wrong. You could probably use this against me citing some other players. I look at this guy and I say, no way. And for the record, I only saw him play during March Madness. So I don't have much to base this. And I know that's unlimited sample size. People like CT are probably going crazy at me right now. But I just look at this guy and say, this guy, this guy. I mean, none of it, <clears throat> no aspect of it is surprising to me at all. I mean, I believe he's seven feet tall. He he's is 19 years old. He, he plays it. He plays, yeah, he shoots and he plays at a very high level of competition in college basketball. That being said, where's the Gonzaga guys lighting up the NBA right now? Exactly. What happened to the kid from a couple of years ago who was so great in March Madness? Do you know who I'm talking about? I no. hate to go. I hate to go full Jerry bus on you at the beginning of the last episode of winning time. But do you remember that guy's name? Me either. <laughs> yeah. No. hundred percent because he didn't come in the league and tear it up. Listen, uh, I, I don't even know. Like, obviously we don't know until a lottery happens who has the first overall pick. But if you're a team that needs to have a player come in and be uh, generational just to get your, you know, if you're a Sacramento Kings team, cool, go for it. But, but if but you're also, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, but if you're my Knicks, uh, you draft this guy, I'll fucking kill myself. <laughs> it's crazy too. Not that you draft on marketing, but we talk about the marketability and that's one thing that made Magic Johnson so great as the number one overall pick. What the hell is the marketability of Chet Holmgren? I don't know. Him and Chet Hanks put out a rap album. Now that I would listen to. Yeah. Two Chets? So we have a few options, Joe. We have a few options for the dirt balls. Okay. There's tons of sports stuff we could push the next episode. We could talk some baseball if you want a little. We could dump into some other things. I am very excited to play. There's a call which I think is just going to open up Pandora's box. I almost want to say for next episode of a dirt ball calling out every other single dirt ball. 
Wow. What yes. do you even mean? Well, I laughed so hard. I listened to it a few times. So we could get into some calls, get into some other sports. I'm just kind of putting it out there right now on the spot to you. I mean, I'm, I, I, I just, I, you know, full disclosure, I'm opening the rundown for the first time. Okay. 90 minutes in. Yeah. 90 minutes in. Uh, there's, you know, in terms of others, uh, you know, in terms of sports news, I'll just, I'll just say right up front, like I'm, I'm in our rundown. Then the, the, the top three stores, I know you lead every rundown with the NFL. Well, like, that, that's just, it, it's just right. No, I know we that's don't have to t- We don't have to discuss any of this. I know, but those can all be kind of skipped. I agree. Um, if you want to talk, uh, if you want to dabble in the MLB for a little bit, uh, we already talked, obviously, the NBA. If you want to dabble in the N- MLB a little bit and uh, and some of these other sports news, uh, we can do that. And if there's any uh, dirtball calls you want to tear right. into after that, or we can save the all dirtball calls for next episode. Let's save the dirtball calls for next episode. 310-359-8365. I know I'm giving the big tease for this call out. It's pretty funny. You did allude to Jay Wright retiring, which we haven't discussed. Wild. He's only I mean, 60. That's it. That's what I was going to say. How old is Jay Rice? Late 50s. Um, so he's 60 years old. What, you know, I know I'm a conspiracy theorist, but is Lakers? he getting, no, I was going to say, is he getting out before something else? But I guess something else comes out or is, do you think we're at the point in terms of sports media these days where like, they're still going to drop it on you, dude. <laughs> like you can well, retire all you want. We're if, if you fucked a sorority girl or if you paid guys to come, you know, with, with suitcases of money, we're going to, we're still going to report it. Well, he says he's done coaching. We've heard this a million times from every different coach. He's been there since 2001. Obviously it's amazing. The job he did with a small school and brought them back to their glory. He says no NBA. Well, listen, I'm I'm wearing my the winged foot sweatshirt I got while I was playing. I I finally I played on Friday. I told you guys that played the I played the East Course twice, and then yesterday I played the West Course, which is the course that they play uh, the U.S. Open on. I can tell you as I was teeing off on the par three third with the. With the backdrop of the green, a gigantic, beautiful, literally course side mansion owned by Rick Patino. That uh, you shouldn't trust coaches when they say they're not coaching. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's a huge blow for them. And that's a huge blow for the Big East, too. That's a high profile coach. You have a, a blue blood team that's always going to compete for a Final Four. And they've been putting out some nice NBA players, as we see with uh, the current crop right now. Yeah. I did want to bring up this Wimbledon story. I just don't understand it. Where is Peng Shui? This doesn't make sense. I've never heard anything like this. I don't even know what you're talking about. Sorry. Well, it's kind of related. Wimbledon 
is banning Russian athletes because of the war. I don't understand. Dude, if you're a Russian athlete, what the hell do you have to do with your country invading? And, and everyone's speaking out against this. Uh, tennis players themselves are speaking out saying, what, what, dude, especially a lot of those people who've come from war-torn countries. This is my problem with some of this stuff, we, the day we like age we live in. You're banning Russian athletes? Yeah, it is kind of stupid. Because their crazy president. Now, obviously, Russia is a very uh, different place than the United States of America. I know a lot of the athletes are sort of government sponsored and blah, 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 blah. But uh, also at the same time, it's like probably not by choice. You know, I'm sure they'd rather play for Nike than they would rather than play for Putin. Um, So, yeah, this seems like. You're you're hurting individuals and and what and what good is it really doing? I don't get it. So Anna Kornikova is not allowed to play. I heard she was coming uh, back. Shameful, shameful. I heard she's coming back. Can she still be in Enrique Iglesias music videos? You think she's still married to him? I have no idea. I'm gonna say no. Is she still married? to Enrique Iglesias. Come on. I don't care about her tennis career, personal life. Were they ever actually married? Okay. They started dating in 2001 with the escape video. They reportedly split again, all via Wikipedia in 2013, but reconciled. It sounds like they're still together. Who would have thought Anna Kornikova and Enrique Iglesias are 20 plus years, a few children later, if children together, three kids. It's unbelievable guys. If Anna Kornikova and Enrique Iglesias can make it work, anybody can make it work. (laughs) That's a good way of looking at if two super rich people can make it work, you too can make it work. Yeah. But I haven't I heard. I can be your hero, baby. Remember, he would sing songs. You're like, he doesn't even know what he's saying. <laughs> you could hear him not knowing. It's like it's like when my brother sings La Bamba. When it, my, it's like when Mikey does La Bamba for karaoke. He's like, he has no idea what he's saying, but he knows every word perfectly. Mikey's slipping into the Joe Prano, Andy Ruther group text. Yeah. What did, what did he slip in with last night? I forget. Every time he slips into the, the text with us, it's always it's always something funny. calling you out for something. Was it a what was it? You have, your fo- you have your phone there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But first, he said that he should somebody should punch in the other side of your head because you hadn't seen rad, oh, which yeah. I'm which I'm still amazed about. Uh, and then he put the meme up. I can't unsee this, that the, a toilet bowl from the top looks just like the Cincinnati Reds. It's funny, logo. That's going around, by the way. People have DM me that. The, the Reds logo does look like the top the aerial view of a toilet seat sideways. Yeah. That's pretty funny. That's like epic Mikey Prano text as well. Yeah. Hey, the Reds won a game. They ended the 11-game winning streak. We're back, baby. Mazel tov. 
I don't even want to get into the Reds today, Joe. I don't have the energy. I'm going to save it. I, I have some things I want to say, but uh, they've definitely reached, I would call a mid 90s Cincinnati Bengals level as far as the disdainment within the local fan base. I mean, when they are paying, when somebody's paying to fly an airplane with a sign above the stadium, you know, things are either good or bad. And I say that because I am about to fly an airplane with a banner over city field that goes, that says need head, Steve Cohen. (laughs) (laughs) I got you. (laughs) Well, what's helping the Mets is everyone else is kind of stinking it up in the division. Oh, I mean, when you look at the standings, I, I believe every single I'm looking right now. I believe every single division in baseball is separated by one or less games. And the Mets have a four game lead on the second place Marlins. Yeah, well, two games in the central. The cards are up two. Oh no, no, you're right. The cards and brewers are tied. Yeah. Uh correct. Yeah. Cards and Brewers aren't tied for very long. Mets are in St. Louis today. And for the next two days after this, old bulldog fucking motherfucker taking the mound today in St. Louis. You fucking best fans of Elstro. You fucking best fans of Israel. Don't fucking touch me. No, I don't want a fucking, I don't want a fucking beer. Thank you very much. Get the fuck out of my face. He's a guy, Post man. Toaster raviolis. Where I'm from, you fucking boil raviolis. I, he's, he's been pitching great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, what we can do is jump more into that on Thursday with the calls, with more NBA. I, the truth is, you, you know, we, we had the dessert first. We, we did with, with Jeff Perlman and, and so awesome for Jeff, for Jeff to come on. And so, and let, can I, can I, I want to do one more, uh, one more, you know, giving props to Jeff Perlman. He went live with us today. He, yeah, I agree. You know, I agree. It's a, it's a guy who's embroiled in, uh, you know, there's some controversy surrounding winning time. He's obviously sure. responsible for it. There's, you know, we didn't talk to him about it to keep him sort of out of the fray with that stuff. But, you know, you can read uh, at length about, you know, like we said, Kareem's issues with it, Jerry West's sort of legal uh, uh, attack on the show, et cetera. But for him to come on during all that and to go live with us, pretty awesome. Yeah, I agree. I didn't pull, and he didn't pull punches himself. Me? No. He went after a few people. Yeah. So shout out to Jeff. Get his books. Follow him on, uh, follow him on Twitter and uh, subscribe to his Substack. Yeah, definitely, definitely read those books. Now that I've read one and I know his writing style, I know how easy of a read it is. What's what's next, you think? You think you'll go right into the other Lakers book? It's a good question. I was thinking about that last night. Walter Payton, who, I mean, he pushed the Payton, but, you know, he he, he loves that one. That's a wild Walter Payton story. The girlfriend oh. and wife sitting two rows yeah. apart. Or do you go... With obviously my beloved, the bad guys won. I was really hoping that would be what he said. Uh, he, you know, he'd love to see made into a TV show next. Because it, listen, let's be honest. If Adrian Brody can play Pat Riley, I can play fucking Keith Hernandez. I'll even, I'll even go method and own a cat for a month. 
Well, there's rumors that his other book about the Lakers, the Kobe Shaq era, Three Ring Circus, will turn into a series as well. I've heard they've already got uh, Jimmy Kimmel penciled in to play Shaq. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Was it optioned? I don't know. Was it? I'm trying to read this article. I don't know. I'm not seeing it here, but you, you know how things work. Once once one thing connects, and then they decide, hey, that worked. People want more Lakers. Yep. And I think Jimmy Kimmel was available. <laughs> Or he could just play Carl Malone because Carl Malone was on one of those Lakers squads. Yeah. Maybe right? he plays maybe he plays Carl Malone in one of the later seasons of winning time when Carl Malone refuses to play on the court with Magic Johnson. That's right. You know, Magic came back in 96. I forgot about that. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. He came back. He was like playing power forward. Like a few years later. Yeah. All right, guys. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, the dirty sports. Subscribe to us on YouTube. That's how you get enable those notifications. That way, notification. You know, that's why you know when we go live. Um, you can follow me on Elon Musk's Twitter at Andy Ruther. <laughs> no one more excited than Andy Ruther that Elon Musk is my Twitter. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm stoked about it. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Hey, Elon, when you buy Twitter, two things. One, like I tweeted today, verify OJ. And the second thing, can you unsuspend things white people like? That's all I care about. By the way, this is my Hail Mary. That's why I'm stoked about it. And the third thing is, can we start pumping Doge again, Elon? I would really appreciate that. I don't have a ton of Doge left, but I got enough where if you pumped it, it would be great. Okay. Um, you can follow me on... All social media at Joe Prano, except for Instagram or sorry, except for Twitter, which is Fix Your Life. I am doing my favorite show uh, tonight. I'm doing the Frantic at 10 o'clock at the stand in New York. Um, and then I've got two shows Friday, one in Brooklyn and one again at the stand late. Um, so just go to JoePrano.com for shows or follow me on Instagram where I usually post about all my shows so that you can come see me do some stand up in New York. All right. That is our show for this Monday, April 25th. Much love for everyone who tuned in or listened. Thank you guys. We'll be back in a few days. And as always, stay dirty.